0: morning church our scripture reading this morning is taken from psalms chapter 19 verses 1 through 14 the heavens declare the glory of god the skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day they pour forth speech night after night they reveal knowledge they have no speech they use no words no sound is heard from them Yet the voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuits to the other. Nothing nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, that much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer, this is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Father, once again, we, we come to the portfolio... Of wisdom about how to live life that we call the Psalms, asking that you will bless us with eyes that see and ears that hear as we think of this psalm that Seth has just read for us. We want to be reminded of the eternal truths. We want to to learn more about your nature. But we want more than anything else these words and all of the words about you and from you to bring us into a tighter and deeper relationship with you. For you are great in every virtue. You are wonderful beyond our imagination. You are loving in ways that humble us. And Father, we are grateful for all of the ways that you reveal yourself to us. And we think principally in the way that our our Messiah, Christ, your Son, lived among us and showed that such a life was possible. We pray to live like him in every area of our life. And this we pray in his name to be true Amen. This summer, we're spending some time thinking about the Psalms. They're not uh, usually the the first book of the Bible that a lot of people go to when they think about wisdom. It's mainly poetry. It's it's uh, lyrical writing, and sometimes we're not given very much of a context. And even when we are, we're not really sure exactly when it happened. Uh, did it happen in this particular incident or like one later on in history? And so it gives us a little bit of trouble. But but the Psalms are there for a reason. The Psalms are an inspired word from God that went down to David and to others, which he prayed back up to God. And so every every word of the the Psalms are words that teach us about God and how to pray to God and how to respond to God. Uh, Dallas Willard. As you know, we've uh, talked about him in the beginning of every one of these sermons about the Psalms. Uh, Willard says, if you want to know the nature of God, the nature of life, and the nature of faith, then read the Psalms. Another commentator, a little bit more specific and to the point, says that the Psalms are about life. And that life is not always described as being delightful and pleasurable. Sometimes that life can be tragic, and sometimes there's a lot of peril in life. But these psalms that have been given to us, they speak to God in an unembarrassing, uh, unflinching way about all of these kinds of events. And they not only tell us that faith is possible in this life, but a blessed life is possible, and a life in which we're never alone. And it gives us the words for those moments when we don't know what to say to God. That there is such a profound emotional experience that we are going through that sometimes we don't have a clue as to what to say. And sometimes it's the words of the Psalms that comes to us to help us to put a word to what it is that we're experiencing and what it is that we're questioning and what it is that we're going through in life. Which brings us to Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis, who knew a little bit about literature, right? said that Psalm 19, in his estimation, was probably the greatest out of all of the 150 psalms that have been given to us. He also said that it was one of the greatest lyrics, one of the greatest poems that was ever written. And Psalm 19 is special in the sense that, like other places in the Bible, it reminds us of the reality of words. That not all words are created equal. We have down on our level, we have a lot of people words. We have, in fact, we have an ocean of, of words. And those words are not just spoken. Those words, I mean, we're very creative when it comes to ways of, of communicating where there's not a sound that's made, but it's typed out on a, dash, on, on, a, on a dashboard, on a keyboard. Not all words are created equal. There are human words, and then a step above it are the God words. The words about God and the words that come to us from God. And, and there is a question implied in this psalm that, that, uh, that Seth read for us. There's a question that sort of stands in the back and shouts at us and asks the question, when it comes to the God, God words, are you paying attention? Another way of asking the same thing is, are you listening carefully to what it is that's being said about God And what it is that God is saying. That's the question that is behind Jesus' parable of the sower. So important was that story when it came to the word of God that is given to us in three of the gospels. Matthew 13, Luke chapter 8, and Mark chapter 4. And in this parable, Jesus is talking about the word of God. And he says the word of God is like seed. And the sower goes out with the seed and he's going to sow the seed and some of it falls on a path which is so trodden down and it becomes like rock. It becomes like concrete in our world that there's no way that that seed can get into it. And as he's going along sowing the seed, there's seed that falls into the rocky soil, doesn't have enough depth to give it much root. There's seed that falls into a patch of ground that is surrounded and infiltrated by lots of weeds, kind of chokes it out. And then there's a seed that falls on the fertile soil. And the fertile soil is so engaging of that seed and it gets so profoundly and significantly deep into that soil that it brings forth a harvest and becomes beautiful and it's bountiful. And the point of the parable that Jesus is making is that some people, when it comes to the Word of God, will never listen. They won't. As soon as you say the word God or Bible or Revelation or John or something, Jesus, switch off the ears. And there are other people who will only half listen. And there are people who will listen, but they won't fully engage the word. Therefore, the word doesn't really engage them at some point. And then there are people that engage the word so fully They engage it so completely and profoundly that they begin to blossom as human beings and to thrive and to become beautiful. Psalm 19 is precious to us because Psalm 19 reestablishes the preeminent place and the unrivaled value of God's words in the midst of all the words. That's why we're blessed to have it. And there's a context, I think, to Psalm 19. We're we're first introduced to God in the book of Genesis. First couple of chapters, what is it that God is doing? He's creating, and how is he creating? He's using his word. He speaks a word, and it comes into fruition. It comes into existence. And he creates everything by his word. Word means action. But he also speaks a word to the humans. And the humans hear him say, you know, you can eat of all of the trees that you find in the Garden of Eden. You can eat of all of them. They're, it, they're pleasurable. They'll, they'll eat what you want, but one tree stay away from. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent is going to make sure that that word is tested. And in essence, what he's asking the Eve in the first couple is the word of God that's powerful enough To create everything, a word that is powerful enough to trust. Do you look at the Garden of Eden and see the nature of God and the goodness of God? It's put to the test. And you know what happens. They eat of the fruit. They decide not to trust God. And sin enters into the world. And it's just, you know, shortly thereafter in the pages of the Bible... That one sin of not paying attention to the Word of God that leads to disobedience leads to murder. Disobedience to murder. And just right after that, a couple of pages, a couple of chapters in the Bible, destruction. The world has become so fully non engaged with the Word of God that it is destroyed and rebooted with the family of Noah. Psalm 19, folks, is a blessing for us to have and to know. And in it we see three things. The reality of God's word, the impact of the God words on our life, and the human response. We'll begin with the reality of God words in the world. Psalm 19 identifies two sources for the words of God. First one is creation. First six verses, it it begins with these words. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim The work of his hands. And David begins to write about all of the ways that creation speaks to us. He says that creation pours forth speech in verse 2 and and reveals knowledge. Down in verse 4 he says their voice goes out into all of the earth. Their words go out to the ends of the world. But they're not traditional words. He'll say in verse 3 they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard in them. Of course, what David is talking about is nonverbal communication. But what on earth can David mean by saying that they are somehow communicating to us a message about the glory of God? You know, this summer I've done a ton of weddings. And I need to tell you something that I was reminded of this summer in doing these weddings. Stop me if you've heard this before. But how is a preacher at a wedding like a bathroom at an art gallery? They're necessary, but nobody goes to look at them. What David is saying is that looking at nature is a little like looking at a painting in an art gallery. That the beauty of of Waikiki Beach says something about God. The grandeur of the rocky mountains or the intricacy of a golden orb spider web. The delicateness of a fern or the allure of a rose points not to an accident or coincidence but to a creator. And David says you look at all of this and what you see is the glory of creator. Paul says the same thing over in Romans chapter 1. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, things that you can't see of God himself, that is his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. You know, when you go to an art gallery, you go to the Witty or the McNay, when you go into, uh, you can even go down the hallway of an of a elementary school with those finger paintings and watercolors strewn against the wall, the latest class project. There are things that you can learn about the artist. Not everything, but some things. You can look at, at, at some uh, phases in history of paintings and get a vision of humanity, at least at that time when the painting was made. You can see uh, the vision of the subject, what it is that the author finds beautiful, or you can find a technique, the way that brushes are used to stroke and to to create texture that somehow is connected to the message of the artist. You can look at a realistic age or the romantic age or the Baroque age and tell that there is a vision of, of the subject that goes from age to age to stage to stage, but not more. What was Rembrandt thinking when he painted that painting? What was he feeling? Or Da Vinci? Or Picasso? Or any of the other great masters? What were they thinking? What were they feeling? Psalm 19 says that you can look at nature, and nature itself says, glorious God. The example that is given is the bright, blinding, and glorious sunlight of the sun, whose rays blanket the earth, all of that pointing to a God, that if you were to see him in all his glory, does not just blind you like the sun might, but would cause you to perish, that he is the ultimate reality but nature doesn't tell you everything there is to know about god a fallen world sends mixed messages you think about the beauty of creation the intricacies of different kinds of fruit and vegetables and trees and birds the rhythm of days and nights Seasons, one right after the other. But also tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes. And it seems most of the time the strong eating the weak. We have creation as one source about God, but it's not complete. What we have is a second source, verses 7-11 through of Psalm 19, which is the written word. In in another place, Paul describes the value of God's Word like this. In a text, a letter that he wrote to his young protege, Timothy, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. It has a life in the way that God breathed life into a human being that he had created out of dust. The Word of God has a vitality and a power to it. And that's what makes it useful for teaching people and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, he's talking about folks like you and me in this room some 20 centuries later, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to hear something crazy? I spend a lot of time out in the woods and a mountain has never rebuked me and said, you shouldn't have thoughts like that. A tree never offered to correct me by saying, why in the world are you spending your money on stuff like that? A stream never offered training in how to be honest. A rock has never taught me about the grace of God or the resurrection of the Christ or the atonement that is found in the cross. But the voice of God in the written word has continually offered up its challenges about life, which now brings us to that impact. The words of God, the God words, are a reality. And they are a reality that have an impact on those that listen. Look at all of the words that David uses to describe the God words in the Bible. It's the perfect law or Torah. It's a perfect teaching. The statutes are trustworthy. The precepts are right. The commands... Whoever thought of commands as, as anything but, but sort of odious and heavy, like an anvil, David says, they're radiant. The commands of God just kind of glow. Pure fear. What in the world is he saying there? Well, fear, I, you know, is a word that is associated with wisdom. The wisdom of God is a pure wisdom and decrees that are firm. All of these words, all of these ways of describing what it is that David is talking about in Psalm 19 is referring to God's Word in its entirety and all of its, it, it's, it's essence, it's all, all of its totality. And those words make, are, are supposed to make an impact on the way that we live. How many of you saw the movie Armageddon? Everybody's scared to death about this meteor that's going to hit the earth, and for good reason. Extinction of the human race and and life as we know it. A greater impact than ever a meteorite could make on planet Earth is the impact in changing a human life. He says in verse 7 that it refreshes the soul. In other words, it provides that inner food that restores the vitality to human beings. You read the Word of God and it refreshes you. There, in a sense, it it energizes you on some days. And on other days, it it convicts you and you decide you want to repent. But it restores that inner food that you need to be revitalized as a human being. Verse 7, he says, it makes wise the simple. Do you know what's found in the words? of God? of the Bible from from Genesis to the maps are are the words, the the giving of wisdom that helps us to avoid the accumulation of foolish and dangerous decisions about how to live life. In verse 8, it gives joy to the heart. What David is doing is describing the emotional life of a human being in the presence of God. And one of the things that we've already seen in the Psalms is that the Psalms offer over and over and over again, not just the possibility, but the reality of a blessed life in the presence of God. In verse 9, it endures forever. It endures forever, which means that the wisdom that God is giving us, the God words, the words about God, the words from God about reality, and ultimate reality, which He is, are not faddish. The truth that the Bible speaks about human beings has not changed. The, 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 the word, the truths about God and his mission in the human project has not changed from culture to culture, age to age. In verse 9 he says, all of them are righteous. All of these are reflection of who he truly is. You know, Charles Manson could have said, thou shalt not murder. And it's true, but it's not a reflection of him. There is an absolute integrity between the word of God and God himself. All of them are righteous. And this impact that they have on our lives, this is why David says that the God words that we encounter are delicious and desirable. In verse 10 he says, they're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And God's word teaches us of a holy God who chooses to love and to forgive and to sacrifice for, to bless, to be patient, to show compassion to people. That's who God is as He is revealed to us in God's Word. And you know what it does? The ultimate impact that it has on us is that it makes God pleasing to us. We realize that God loves us That that He's taking care of us. That He is the Father. As we looked last week, that He is a guardian in our lives. We never live this life without being watched over. And because He's pleasing to us, we want to make ourselves pleasing to Him. And that's where the psalm concludes. The human response to God's Word, the, the words of the psalm wind down with this. Who can discern their own errors? Can you? Can you? Who can discern their own errors? David is saying that when he begins to pay attention to what God, the God words are saying to him about God and about God's everything that is revealed as it pertains to David, David realizes that he is worse than he could ever imagined that David is worse than he could ever imagine, that there is an impossible distance to travel, to be in God's presence. And so this is what he does. He prays. He prays to God. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my what? And my what, church? Let's say it together. Redeemer. David sees the need for a redeemer. That it's not in him to be able to get himself out of whatever it is that's got a hold of him in life that's not God. He needs another to make him pleasing to God. And here we come to the most important God word. When God speaks, things happen. Creation happens. And when God speaks to creation, it's not just the ancient Hebrew text, the King Jimmy Bible that appears. When God speaks to creation, the Word becomes flesh. A future son of David would come as the very Word of God. And John, when he's writing his gospel, and saying, you know what was in the beginning? It's the Word. With God, was God, all things created through him. And then in one of those latter pieces of writing in his life, probably not long before, he passes into eternity. He's writing some letters to a church, churches that are troubled. And he says, I want to remind you of something, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And he says in that letter, and we touched it, and we felt it, and we walked with it. And it was that Word that is the life of men. And so I would just ask you the question this morning... What kind of impact do the God words have on you? I mean, do you walk through this life and just get this sense as you look around you that this was not an accident? That the intricacies of colors and of plants and of things happening in the sky and things below ground, the fact that there's even an earth with human beings on it, that this could not be the accident of just mere coincidence that there's got to be something greater and more intelligent than us that's behind all of this. And as you go to God's Word, it teaches us about God, and, and it's the Word, the teaching, the words from God, do you begin to sense that, that there's something going on in the world that you're not a part of, that you're a part of it because you're a, a, a child of God by, by, by creation. But God is up to something else that there is a reason for the church, that there is a reason for God when it says that He puts His Spirit inside of us, that something is supposed to happen, that God is is working all of history towards some point, and you know deep down that you need to ask, forgive me of my hidden sins. And give me the strength not to sin willfully because I want you to be my rock and I want you to be my redeemer in order to live this blessed life and to be a blessing to other people. The ultimate word that God speaks is Christ himself. And he is the one who who speaks come to me tired worn out heavy laden tired of beating your head against the wall tired of crashing the car into the wall come to me and find that rest find that life and find god himself If that describes you this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to do something about that. Our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them about the desires of your heart, the need for prayer, the need for baptism, the need for repentance, whatever it might be, as we stand and we praise God together. My God has said, His light will shine.